Welcome to the Spread of Grace podcast, where we tackle pressing questions from church leaders in villages around the world. You are fighting the good fight of the gospel. You are on the front lines caring for God's flock. The Bible is your spiritual weapon, and we are here to help you handle God's truth with precision. So let's open God's Word together and prepare to study, believe, and preach. Greetings, everyone. This is Pastor Mike, and in today's episode, we sit down with Josh McLaren, who is one of SGM's international teachers, along with two Ugandan pastors, Pastor Joachim and Pastor James. And we are going to discuss the nature of the true gospel. What is the true gospel? And how does that true gospel relate to other false gospels that we find out there in the world? So this is going to actually be a two-part episode. And in this first part, we're going to discuss what is the true gospel. In episode two, we're going to discuss some of those other false gospels that are confusing people, in particular, the prosperity gospels. So please get your Bibles ready, and let's talk about what is the true gospel. Can you talk about the gospel? We've heard of uh, false gospels, different gospel, prosperity gospel, grace gospel. What exactly is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, the problem with many false gospels is nothing new at all. It's actually been kind of uh, a difficulty in the church since early on. Even we see uh, Paul talking about it in the, the, the letter of Galatians, which is the first one that he wrote. That, that you know, There's a problem right away with people teaching false gospels, which he says is no gospel at all. But as for the word gospel, the word gospel simply means good news, and it was a word that was used in the times of the New Testament, the times of the Roman Empire, to describe uh, news about the emperor. Uh, and you know, the emperor was viewed at that time, uh, several of them claimed deity, that they were actually gods. So they would send out heralds, messengers to announce the good news that the king has conquered a new region or that the new heir to the throne has been born. It, it really is, has a kingdom concept uh, and recognizes that that king is, is, a, is a god. So when the, new, the, the word gospel is used by the New Testament writers, it still means good news, but they're preaching and claiming this good news about Jesus Christ being the God King, the one true God King, that the King has come. And, the, and they always call for a response of repenting, turning away from uh, sin, and turning to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, probably the quickest answer to what the message of the gospel in the New Testament is, is given by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul is writing to the, the, this, the Corinthian church, and he is solving all kinds of church problems, and he's utilizing the gospel to solve those problems. And in chapter 15, the problem is that some people taught that there's no resurrection, that, that once a person dies, that's it. Even believers, okay, that once they die, that's it. Yeah. There's nothing else, no afterlife, um, no, no resurrection in terms of like a physical resurrection. 
Paul answers that with a summation of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So he says this in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. Okay, so, so right there we have a lesson in itself that this gospel that Paul's going to talk about is something that must be received. It must be welcomed in and embraced. And he says, in which you stand. So it's something that a person literally puts their whole weight of their life upon this message. And by which you are being saved. In other words, if you receive this and you're standing on this message, you're saved. You have been rescued. If, he says, you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So there we have a situation where people can... um, say that they believe in this gospel, but it's actually an empty belief that they didn't ever really truly receive it. They're not standing on it. They're not saved by it because they never truly uh, embraced it. Now, Paul's going to give the the summation. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. In other words, these are the kind of the top truths of the gospel. First importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, the apostles, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to also to me. So what is the, the, the top truths of first importance of the gospel? Paul has said it very clearly, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared. So... Maybe we should just unpack that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, you want to talk a little bit about Christ dying for our sins? Sure. Uh, so often the question could be asked, why did Christ have to die? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we see the crucifixion clearly in Scripture, and there needs to be a reason. Well, let's start with the problem of sin. So Christ died for our sins. So there is this reality that God made us in his image and in his likeness to bear his image, to, to steward the things. This is the creation mandate he gives in Genesis 1 and 2 to Adam and Eve. But in Genesis 3, we see the fall of man in that Adam and Eve, uh, they ate of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God commanded them not to eat, and sin entered the world, entered them. And uh, Paul talks about in Romans 5 that through uh, one man, sin entered the world. So, and through that one man, all have sinned. Uh, we inherit a sin nature. Now, we're not responsible because of Adam. We're responsible because of ourselves. We willfully sin against God. Uh, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. He says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, uh, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, uh, the spirit who's now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says, uh, among whom we all once lived, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So our sin is an affront to the holy God of the universe. And God would be unjust if he simply forgave us just because. 
Uh, because, because of his perfect holiness and his justice, he must punish sin. He even says he will by no means clear the guilty in Exodus mm-hmm. 34. Um, so our sin is a deep issue. And apart from God's saving power through Christ, we will die in our sin. We're, we're, we're by nature children of wrath. And we will uh, suffer an eternity in hell separated from God's kindness and his love. So our sin is a deep problem. Therefore, Christ had to die. Uh, Christ, the God-man, God incarnate, lived the perfect life we couldn't live. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of the Old Testament sacrifices, if you think about them, uh, they were there so that the Israelites might be reconciled to God, have peace with God. There were guilt offerings, peace offerings, thanksgiving offerings, all these offerings. And they had to be made year after year, and they culminated in the Day of Atonement, uh, where uh, the priest would sacrifice the, uh, the Paschal Lamb, and that would uh, atone temporarily for the sins of the people. God never intended those sacrifices to be the way in which his people worshipped him. Uh, it, it was really pointing to Christ who is the ultimate sacrifice. In Hebrews, we read that he is the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus, being the perfect son of God, obeying the law where we could not, obeying God's commands where we could not, lived the perfect life we couldn't live, and then willfully died on the cross. Mm-hmm. He, he took our sins upon himself. He endured the, the cup of God's wrath. Often the scriptures speak of him as our propitiation. It means... Uh, that he appeased the wrath of God that we deserved. It talks about him being our substitute. Uh, he endured God's wrath on our behalf, where we deserved to, mm-hmm. to, to uh, be the one on the cross to, to endure God's wrath. Christ took it. Uh, it talks about atonement, that he covered over our mm-hmm. sins by his shed blood. It speaks about how God redeems us through Christ's death, that he pays our debt. The sin debt that we accrued by, uh, by lying, by cheating, by committing adultery in our hearts, by lusting, uh, by having anger in our hearts. All of these things accrued a, a sin debt that God paid for by the blood of his son. Uh, through Christ's death, we're reconciled to God. Uh, he takes away our sin and he places upon us Christ's righteousness, and we are then welcomed into God's family. We're adopted as sons and daughters. We are justified. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are made right before God, and we are uh, called righteous and set apart as holy. So our sins are such a problem, and Christ's death is the only solution. When Jesus says in John, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he's speaking of his perfect life, his death, and what we're about to talk about, his resurrection. Uh, those are the, the way in which we receive life from Christ, and he's the only way. There's no other way in which we can be saved. Yeah, and talking specifically about the death of Christ in Romans chapter 3, when Paul talks about his death being a propitiation through his blood. Yeah. Why did God do it that way? He did it that way. Romans 3.26 to show that God is the just Just. one and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. So God, it is all a work of God. It it is not of works, lest any one of us should boast. Ephesians 2. Yep. And some people might even say, you know, God is, 
you know, well, I'm not that bad of a sinner. So, so God is being unrighteous in, in this idea that he would be wrathful, yeah. you know, against our sin. But the reality is that, I mean, if, if, if you have a truly righteous judge, they are going to require that somebody who breaks the law is going to pay for sin. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow that sin must be paid for, or else it is not a just judge. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so God truly is just in his wrath against our sin. And then he's the justifier because it's not of us. Yeah. This, is a, this is not of our works. It's completely the work of God, the Son on the cross, the Father ordaining this to happen, um, and the Spirit anointing Jesus Christ, the, the, all of God becomes just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. So the main point, number one, of the gospel is clearly that Christ died for our sins. And that is according to the scriptures. I mean, the Old Testament predicted the death of Christ. It predicted this work. We can go all the way back to Genesis 3.15, right on the heels of sin, the first sin entering the world. God promises that a seed is going to come, a descendant of the woman that will destroy the serpent. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so you have the serpent biting the heel of this descendant and the descendant crushing the head. So what is that biting of the heel of this descendant? Well, it would be the cross, mm-hmm. the pinning him. Mm. Literally, it's like the snake bites, you know, right in through the hands and the feet of the descendant, Jesus Christ, and then him crushing, the crushing blow Mm. is not only that he died, but the second part of the gospel that Paul points out is that on the third day, that he was raised on the third day. That that really is the crushing blow. Mm. Because what that means is that when Christ rose from the grave, Paul says that he was raised for our justification. So what does that mean? It means that truly God accepted the atoning sacrifice, Mm -hmm. that propitiation, that God's wrath was satisfied in the death of Christ, in the burial of Christ. He rose on the third day. He was truly dead, and now he's truly alive. Um, So... All oh, so many things we could talk about how important the resurrection is. One of them, I mean, one of the basic ones, it is the foundation of our faith. That if Christ did not raise, we are most to be pitied. We are of all people yes. most to right? be pitied. Yeah. And Paul actually begins to unfold that whole idea that, that look, if, if, if Christ did rise, we're going to rise. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. We too. So that gives us hope of eternal life, mm-hmm. right? So this idea that Christ rose is essential to the gospel. If he did not rise, then he's just like Muhammad. Yeah. He died. Dead. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. No more Muhammad, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, or any other false prophet, yeah. you know? Joseph Smith, yeah. dead. You know, the, the Mormon, the head of the Mormons. Yeah. Uh, you know, take your pick. Mm. The only one that rose from the grave was Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what's awesome about how Paul explains this in Rome in 1 Corinthians 15 is that, you know, just like he said he, he, he died for our sins and he was buried, he rose on the third day in accordance with scriptures, and he appeared. And so Paul gives proof of that resurrection right here in 1 Corinthians 15. 
He gives proof through all of the eyewitnesses. 500 at one time, he says. And right here in this passage, 500. Can 500 people all have the same delusion at the same time? Probably not. If it were just me and, and Kim, uh, we could probably make it up, make this story up and say, hey, we saw Jesus rose from the grave and you guys would be going like, Maybe they just had some bad dream. Maybe they yeah. <laughs> ate something for dinner that didn't agree with them. You know, but but when you're talking 500 people yeah. attesting to the risen Christ at the same time, that's difficult to argue against. And then the other thing, so we and we have it recorded right here hmm. in historical documentation. And the other thing you think about guys like Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul died horrific deaths, right? Where Jesus predicted Peter's death mm-hmm. to be that of crucifixion. Peter died holding and claiming to the resurrection of Christ. So in Paul, the same thing. He, he, he is killed for his faith. He's, he's sentenced to death for his preaching of the resurrection. Now let me ask you something. Would a person in the right mind, and I think we can say, we, we read the logical nature of Paul and Peter mm-hmm. in the New Testament, how they write. They're in their right mind. Mm-hmm. Who in their right mind would die for a lie that they made up? Yeah. Nobody would. They would turn. They would, they would say, okay, I just made it up. Okay, you know, they died for this. So I believe that those are living proofs among us that Jesus Christ truly rose from the grave. Amen. To all of our students and pastors out there in the villages of the world, we really hope that today's episode encouraged you. This is Pastor Mike encouraging you with the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God.